Hey guys, welcome everyone to Maureen's podcast. My name is Annie and I will be your host for this podcast and take you along Maureen's thesis research. Maureen is a master's student of international development studies at Utrecht University and her thesis was about the Mexican dreamers who are young immigrants who often grew up in between their countries of origin, which is Mexico, and their country of destination, in that case the United States. Uh, what exactly Mexican dreamers are, we will talk about later with Maureen herself. She's going to explain a little mm -hmm. bit uh, about that. But she and her thesis focused more on the Mexican dreamers that are currently in the U.S. or have been in the U.S. and are increasingly packing their bags to return to Mexico because this trend has been observed throughout the last years. And she really wanted to explore the motivations behind that and why this is happening. So... She started questioning why they are returning and she started looking into how they are received in Mexico after those years and who the people are that are returning. The thesis is called Welcome Dreamers, Mi Casa es Tu Casa and the core concept is the concept of home, La Casa, where Marine researched what it means to the Mexican dreamers, the home and what they need to create a proper home and to feel at home. But before we dive into those interesting concepts, maybe, Maureen, you want to say a few words about yourself first, and also what inspired you to write this thesis? Yes, thank you so much, Annie, for the introduction. So my name is Maureen, and before going into this master's degree, I did a bachelor's in international studies with a regional focus on Latin America. And during my third year, I actually had the opportunity to go to Mexico and study and live there for six months. So there I went to Guadalajara, to be precise, which is a city in western Mexico, and I studied there at Itaso University. So what inspired me in one of my cultural classes, um, we actually discussed new immigrant movements, and the dreamers were one of the topics that was briefly discussed in class. And it was actually a very strange situation because our professor told us that there were dreamers among us at that time. But she did not want to mention any names because migration and its impact can be a very sensitive topic for the people who are involved, obviously. But it did make me wonder why people chose to not share a first-hand experience in a culture class and share their story with us. So it made me wonder why they returned, what their lives are like right now, about their adaptation processes. And... Um, Yeah, back in February, which was almost two years after I got back from Mexico and a couple of migration electives later because I got really interested in migration during my time in Mexico. Um, I still wondered about that social dynamic of that one class and um, I transformed this interest into my subject of study for my thesis, basically. Yeah, I love how these experiences really kind of inspire you to go down these academic roads. It's really cool to see that it has this effect on young researchers like you. Um, could you maybe explain a little bit more who these Mexican dreamers are and why they are called dreamers? Yeah, sure. So it's a bit of a complex story. You might have heard about the term dreamers before if you follow American politics. And that's because the concept of dreamers finds its origin in the development of migration legislation in the US. So it started with DREAMAC, that's essentially where the, the name uh, DREAMERS derives from, and this later evolved into DACA, which you might be a bit more familiar with. Uh, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it's a program that was introduced uh, in 2012 under the Obama administration and put in place by Homeland Security. 
and it was basically put in place to protect the undocumented living in the United States from being deported. So, yeah, just like you mentioned, actually, in the introduction, Annie, um, dreamers are the children of parents who moved to the U.S. to generally find a better standard of living. So they cross the border in many different ways, and they grow up living in the U.S., making friends, going to school, joining after-school activities. And on the surface, you could actually say that it can seem like growing up is much like growing up like you and I did. Yeah, I guess that's really like when you take it on the surface. But if you look a bit more closely, like what would you say is the is the difference between these dreamers? And then how does that relate to to the DACA? Well, an undocumented status comes with many limitations. And I think that's where you see the effect. Um, for example, you do not have a social security number. That's the big one. Uh, that means you cannot apply for a formal job with labor benefits. You cannot apply for a driver's license. College options are also very limited since the dreamers cannot enroll as a U.S. citizen, which makes it actually extremely expensive to study. So um, DACA was introduced to tackle these limitations by granting these young adults with social security and for them to kind of move away from the decision of their parents to move to the United States years ago. So, yeah, whenever an individual applies and is accepted to get DACA, they are granted social security in terms of going to college, not paying top price, getting a driver's license, becoming mobile within the U.S. as well. Um, lots of good stuff. And obviously, there is also certain conditions. And because of those conditions, some dreamers are able to pick the fruits of DACA and others are not. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. But then... Relating a bit more back to, to your actual research, you are actually more focusing on the returning dreamers though, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting because um, the U.S.-Mexico migration corridor obviously is well studied and explored, um, pops up in academia all the time, mainly for uh, the migrants going from Mexico and from the whole of Latin America to the United States. But there is, um, yeah, actually a changing migration narrative for, uh, for Mexico. There's lots of people coming back to Mexico as well, and the dreamers are a big part of that group. Um, yeah, because of their experiences and the insecurity of DACA not being a permanent fix, because it's a program, it's not a law. Um, lots of young people decide to go back to Mexico just to be legal and to go to school, be able to move around and, yeah, to be engaged with politics, for example, just to kind of be an active citizen, which they're not able to do in the United States. Yeah. 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 I think it's it's a huge topic. I mean, migration generally, we have seen throughout the last years has been a very politicized topic. But um, anyways, more practically speaking, I'm curious to know, how did you go about this research? Um, so I was supposed to do field work and go to Mexico. Um, Obviously, um, I couldn't do that because of the pandemic. We weren't um, able to go to Mexico this past year. So I did all my research online. Um, I did lots of explorative research, um, lots of networking, going on all these social media platforms to find people who were willing to share their story with me. And in the end of the process, it took me some time, I actually ended up with 16 in-depth interviews, which were um, conducted over Zoom. Um, and special thanks to two organizations that really helped me out. Dream in Mexico, for example. Um, my first conversation 
was with them and um, they actually shared my research online on their social media and I had people approaching me that were really willing to um, to contribute to my study so that really helped with finding my research population and then there is ODA, Otro Streams and Auction. Um, this is a little bit of a different organization who um, really want to um, provide not only dreamers, but also immigrants and other minority groups with a platform to share their stories, find common ground in their experiences. And they also talk a lot about the concepts of home and sense of belonging and transnationalism. And these are the themes that, you know, were very present in my thesis as well. So it was great getting some guidance from them uh, in the specific context of Mexico and the dreamers. Yes. Yeah, great. And also special thanks, I guess, to... Um modern technology that you know even, for sure even yeah. in these times like you're able to actually somehow connect i mean it's not the same but you're still able to connect with these people even if it's over zoom and and have a talk with them that's great but um then yeah. eventually what were the questions that were guiding these conversations and your research so both of my interviews and thesis were organized by following three sub questions First, I wanted to know who the dreamers are and what their life is like. Uh, it's a complex story, as I mentioned before, and a political one. And for that, re for that reason, I really wanted to dive deeper into their migration trajectories. This also really ties into one of the big relevances of this thesis, which was bringing nuance to this returning migrant group. There's lots of people returning, but there are so many different subgroups that have specific needs. And then the second one is home. My second question ties into how the dreamers view home, what they need to construct a home for themselves and to essentially, you know, the essential building bricks they need to sustain a home. And this has been my main theme because most of the work on returning migrants and their adaptation processes, they very much focus on labor integration and education integration. And although these are obviously very important things, I figured that feeling at home and fitting in are quite foundational to someone's well-being. So if you don't feel at home or you don't feel like you fit into society, this will also impact the way you function within that job or within any career, basically. So for those reasons and also the subjectivity of the concept, which I find really interesting. And um, yeah, also the fact that many dreamers return to kind of find or follow a certain idea of home. Um, yeah, I made this the core of my study. The third question uh, was about how their negotiations of home impact their social integration processes, because I found lots of parallels actually between home development and social integration. Yeah, sounds uh, really interesting. And uh, I'm actually very happy to now say that we might get some insights to some answers to these yeah. questions because we're going to welcome a special guest, Omar, who is also part of well the interviews that you conducted for yep. your research, exactly. right? Yeah. So thank you very much, Omar, for being here and talking to us. Um, so yeah, Maureen, take it over. Yep, that's right. Omar, thank you so much for joining and thank you so much for helping me out with my research again. Maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit as well before we get into some questions. Well, first of all, thank you so much to you for having me here and to everybody that's listening. My name is Omar. I lived all my life in Chicago, Illinois, since I was one year old. I recently came back to Mexico as a deportee and now I'm starting a new life here, but I'm currently also studying in the in one of the major universities in Monterrey and 
and I've only been here for at least five years. And uh, yeah, that's my intro. <laughs> so how long did you live in the U.S.? In the U.S.? Well, my parents took me when I was uh, one year of age. Mm-hmm. And I've been living there until I was the age of, from what I remember, 29. And then uh, that's when I returned back to Mexico. So I've been living there pretty much all my life, 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the introduction. Um, obviously, in our interview, we talked a lot about your life in the United States and, you know, the reasoning for return and everything that happened there. Uh, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to go straight into the concept of home and sense of belonging. So, yeah, can you tell me something about the concept of home, what it means to you, what has been important in a home to you whilst growing up and moving to Mexico, for example? Well, specifically in my situation, from my life experiences, concept of home for me is somewhere where I feel safe, um, somewhere where, where I, I can actually call my home, that, that I know where I'm at, and that I have the facility to go about wherever I want throughout the, the city or the town or wherever I live. And also family and also just uh, the culture that, that you grow up with. And that's my concept of hope, something you grew up with all your life. And when you go back to it, you just feel the same, I guess, a sense of sanctuary, a sense of, hey, this is where I belong. I think that's my sense of home overall. And it goes straight towards Chicago, Illinois, where I always lived all my life. So that's basically my uh, definition of what the concept of home is. Yeah, okay, interesting. So you still call the United States your home, uh, even after returning to Mexico then? In my brain, in my life, in my mental side of stuff yes it's still my home even though it's not in paper but I still consider it my home okay and where does Mexico come in that situation like how do you look at Mexico at this point uh you know being here five years at first I did not feel at home here it was a I guess you could say a culture clash Mm -hmm. and there was also a lot of stuff where I had to really try to adapt to a new system, a new culture, like I said. Uh, so Mexico is basically just felt like a new planet. Like, like wow, <laughs> different places, different things. Uh, they do things differently and stuff that I'm not used to. Don't get me wrong. Mexico is a beautiful place. However, being dropped in a, in a place where I never knew nothing about made me feel like I was in a different planet. So that kind of explains how far away from home it was. However, now, now that I met some of my old, I mean, not old, but like, yeah, some of my uh, family members that I have never met all my life, and they brought me in, that is, for me, a sense of home, a sense of, of welcoming, a sense of, of secureness. But it was not the same type of home that I was used to in Chicago. Yeah. But it's more like a learning process of learning how to adapt and so that's pretty much where Mexico lies in with that. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so I wanted to go to your accommodating process as well a little bit. Um, did you receive any help when returning to Mexico? Was there any 
family or friends that you know stood out there for you or any organization that helped you with returning yes once uh i arrived to mexico they dropped us off at the border and they pretty much handed us off to the officials of the immigrate uh, of immigration of mexico once we were there they were in collaboration with a organization that had a house of immigrants in that same area specifically in the the border of Reynosa so that was one of the accommodations and help that i received secureness because Reynosa as a lot of many of the listeners might know that is very dangerous there so they brought us in fed us and did everything they they needed to do so that we could find some sort of family member and then we could go on to our next journey yeah um as far as family members my father 100% always on the phone talking to whoever lives around the Texas border that we have family friends that could pick me up and send me to to the bus station so I could go back so that's one of course my family was always there helping mm-hmm. another help I had was dream in mexico connected me to a university where I could actually obtain a scholarship that is something that I could never get in the United States because I was undocumented and illegal there. So that was a very big help. Another accommodation and help was by the state of Nuevo Leon, where I came in Monterrey. The government actually has some sort of um, funds that help immigrants. Uh, There's a budget every year. So they were able to provide me with a check so that I could start off a new life here in Mexico. And they presented it to me and it was it was amazing and I was happy. So those were some of the accommodations that I received in arriving in back to Mexico. Okay, cool. And that sounds like a, a, actually a variety of, of support networks uh, to me. Considering the support that you received, um, do you have any tips or advice for you know setting up an infrastructure to help returning migrants anything from your experience that you think is necessary to include in aid or that you think is very necessary to think of when accommodating returning migrants well once you return as a deportee you're right away given pamphlets and and information on on how they could help you uh return that that is a start it's a good start House of Immigrants, they also have a really, really good way of, of helping you get integrated to, to the society, find work, you know, find, find uh, some sort of academic help or anything. But also the main thing and the main issue is not just help, uh, not just give money, not just say, hey, welcome back to Mexico, but actually establish some sort of system or program where you could kind of, I don't want to say specifically educate, but but yeah, in a way, deportees are people that are coming back to Mexico, some of the customs, some of the cultures, you know, of course, your rights, uh, the differences between Mexico and the U.S. Uh, on certain areas like politics, laws, you know, I mean, of course, with the immigrant, uh, the beneficiary, the immigrant willing that they want to do that, of course. But I think that is very, very important that we need to establish the fact that there's a difference in culture. And if you don't acknowledge those differences and address them, then there could be a lot more problems than, than, than solutions. 
because for me and for a lot of people, we come back and we're just in shock because we don't know how to act sometimes. We don't know how to how to go around the street and, and, and say certain things we're not supposed to do. So I think that is very important to establish. Okay, cool. So it's very much about like crossing a certain cultural bridge and kind of like embracing the fact that you come from a very different place, that there is such a big difference between the United States and Mexico, right? And to kind of incorporate that into to, to A programs and to really go into like the specific needs of that group that's returning. Yes, exactly. And quickly, just the psychological aspect of it too, because I mean, it's a lot of, it affects you psychologically as a, as a person. So yeah. That, that is very important. Psychologists and, and counselors, therapists, also yeah. very important. Thank you so much for sharing that to give us like a very brief, of course, insight into how you view your home and how that's been changing for you. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Omar and Maureen, for this insight and for this really interesting chat. Um, now I'm kind of curious to know how kind of these quite personal experiences or how kind of the aspects that we learned during the conversation just now, how these relate to the more general results of your study. Yeah, so obviously every story in my thesis, I mean, it's actually not obvious, but I know they were very unique and they were very personal um, and people with similar upbringings, um, they had very different views on home and their sense of belonging, actually. So... Um, that's for sure, but there were also patterns that surfaced in my thesis. So, for example, with regards to their migration trajectory and who the dreamers are, many of them grew up in very diverse neighborhoods with lots of immigrants living there. Many of them viewed the United States as their home for a significant amount of time, um, mostly until they started to become more aware of their undocumented status and how that status would impact their freedom. So the being bounced back and forth like a political ball was very present in nearly all interviews. And this has to do with the fact that movement is very much impacted by the political climate and migration reforms in the United States, as earlier explained. And this often has led to an involuntary, voluntary return, as I named it in my study. Um, yes, the dreamers mostly decided for themselves to return, but how free was this choice really? And since their return was often a product of non-freedoms and anxiety um, that pushed them to leave, this is quite questionable. Yeah, I mean, it's never black and white, especially if you have such a politicized uh, yeah, issue, right? So eventually, what, what about their home then? So just like Omar mentioned as well, the Dreamers viewed their homes as places such as the United States, Mexico, a specific street, a specific building, actual geographical places. Um, but it is the social meaning layered into them that makes these places a home. Um, the research has shown, however, that when we dive a little bit more into how they view their homes, there was also a sense of confusion, you could say. And this confusion ties very much into the dreamers being part of the 1.5 migrant generation. So this reflects on them being from Mexico, not growing up there, moving to the United States, and then going back to the country of their birth, um, which actually was a complete stranger to them in most cases. So this in-betweenness creates multiple homes and multiple belongings to various places. Home is often not one place anymore. 
And at the same time, it is often something yet to be discovered. And although they have a desire to feel grounded, their migration trajectory is also fueled a sense of detachment to these places. So some people, they experience an inability to find a home anywhere because they kind of, you know, lost that sense of home along the way. And others, they became very flexible in finding a home everywhere. But what about like the specific aspects that eventually create a home for them? Like what about the, the ingredients that are necessary for them to construct a home? So the primary necessary ingredients to construct a home have been identified as social support networks, such as Omar talked about as well. And additionally, things like freedom, opportunity, citizenship and nationality as well in terms of mobility um, also facilitate the construction of a home for the dreamers. And it very much appeared that when these ingredients are in place, they can function as sustainable building bricks to construct a home wherever that might be. So they can take these things along with them or find them in, in different places. Yeah. Yeah. You also touched upon like social integration and as you, well, I mean, it relates to, I guess, the social social support network that you were talking about earlier. But how do you think the social integration has impacted the negotiations of home? Um, I think more in... Yeah, this, the unsettledness, I would say, of dreamers and the way they view they, their home because they grow up in between two countries. That's the, the thing with the 1.5 migrant generation. And this does indeed affect their social integration processes. And um, this was, for example, identified in them only partially integrating because Mexico is seen as more of a pit stop in their migration journey on a quest to find their home. So, yeah, Mexico wasn't seen as the end stop in many of the interviews I've conducted and for that reason they also yeah invested less in social integration in the specific places where they were living in Mexico um, at the moment. So yeah actually uh, this makes me think of something that really ties into the help they would like to receive, uh, the help they would like to receive by the government and by the organizations and the things they've shared in the interviews and um, yeah also where help is missing. Uh, there's a need to take into account their migration background and their transnational identities. Lots of organizations and aid that is out there right now, they're pretty much focusing on helping the re returnees to integrate into Mexico, whereas my interview showed as well that Mexico was not necessarily always seen as, you know, the future place of home. So it's really interesting to, to look at their specific needs and uh, to look at at that transnational identity in terms of culture and language and really focus on the entirety of their identity um, in that sense. So, yeah, in that way, I feel like sustainable support networks can emerge. Yeah. And based on that, you also came up with some recommendations, right? And uh, what are these recommendations and who would you direct them to? Yeah, so part of the study also tied into how the dreamers were accommodated in their return. So looking into the infrastructure that's in place to provide the specific needs the dreamers might have. And some recommendations have derived, have derived from exploring those questions, which in my study were not necessarily directed to organizations or the government, but more in general, um, some values that should be in place whenever anyone accommodates dreamers. So one of these things is that the knowledge of the dreamer should be centralized. They can become active agents in support programs and really help with their experiences to direct, you know, workshops and aid that is out there. Um, second of all, the concept of dreamers is pretty complex, as I've showed now, and 
uh, it's really um, yeah it, it should be used carefully um, so to say as it can include and exclude people so people should be educated about who dreamers are and what their background is uh, within the political context as well um, that would be really good in a programs I think speci specifically when they're directed towards dreamers so the last one is that there should be a focus on the entirety of the migration trajectory when developing support networks as opposed to solely considering their situation in the country of destination. Uh, Mexico in this case, obviously they've had lots of experiences of living in the US and that's part of their migration trajectory and that should be considered and highlighted that transnationalism uh, yeah, once more when we're looking into how to accommodate returnees. Yeah, you yeah, know, I think especially considering like the complexity of these issues and also like that it's very like you have to bear in mind there's always a personal story behind these fates, you know, yep, like, for sure. Uh, I think it's very important to bear that in mind and to somehow maybe try to, yeah, include that in, yeah, maybe policy or AIDS work or, you know, but um, apart from that. What did you find most striking during your research, conducting your research? And what do you think, like when you think back, what really touched you during the process? So I did receive some criticism towards my study from people who were not so sure about my intentions, which was a little tricky in the beginning. Um, but it did teach me a lot about qualitative research in general. It showed me that I am not a researcher who wants to give voice to the voiceless, as it is often perpetuated in qualitative research. But yeah, to really carefully plan and organize your study in such a way it can become a platform to make voices hearable. I think that's really important. I was only able to put one author for my thesis. I wish I would have uh, had 17 authors for my thesis, um, because I do think that they really wrote my thesis and um, they really made the study you know possible so I think it's very important to, to to value that and to portray their stories in an accurate most accurate way um, additionally the findings showed how the home undergoes change depending on one's time and space in their migration trajectory and that home is something very fluid so I think what I've also learned is that fixed notions of home and with that also identity, they're pretty much fading out and they're not very representative of the reality anymore. And um, yet again, home is something very foundational to someone's well-being within society, so it shouldn't be overlooked. I think it's always very important to question yourself what it means to you, what you need to fit in and how to negotiate these concepts. Do you crave attachment? Do you crave freedom? And I think whenever these specific needs are explored, obstacles can be overcome. I mean, they can be identified and be overcome. And in that way, I do feel like sustainable homes can be created. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for giving us these these insights. And I think especially, or especially important is like, as you said, like creating the space for the voices, you know, and also, as you mentioned earlier, like considering their agency and noticing that they have agency and that you're there to to give them the space and to tell, well, not to tell their stories, but like to make them tell their own stories. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing this. And thanks again to Omar for also being part of this. And I hope everyone who listens enjoyed this. And I certainly did. So thank you so much, Maureen, for, uh, yeah, yeah, for sharing your research. Great. Works. <laughs>